they're perky. Better than Luis Suarez is, who got fined by Liverpool and then got booed by the crowd at the PFA after Reginald D. Hunter called him one hungry n***er. That wasn't the point at which he got booed, to be fair. He got booed when his name was read out as part of the team of the year. So I guess let's just deal with the awards. The the Football Writers Awards are announced as well. Today, Gareth Bale with a clean sweep, winning Player of the Year and Young Player of the Year at the PFA Awards and Football Writers Player of the Year as well. Robin Van Persie, very close run thing in the Football Writers Awards and only two football writers voted for Luis. Yeah, United only winning the title by, what, 13 points or something? Van Persie came third, in fact, didn't he? Some way behind. In the Players' Player of the Year? Players' Player of the Year, yeah. The greatest player in the world, trademark. Ran away with all the prizes this year. He's had a very good year, Gareth Bale. I mean, can't deny that. He's been more influential for Tottenham than Van Persie has been for United. But I think that's a reflection on the two sides, of course. And Van Persie can be very pleased that he'll win the Premier League Golden Boot, I suppose. Yeah, and obviously Van Persie kind of sums up the ridiculousness of individual awards in football, having won the PFA Player of the Year last season and this season won the championship. And I think we all know which one he'd prefer. And I reckon Gareth might prefer that too. Well, yes, he he would, though it's unlikely. So there's no transfer to United coming up for Gareth Bell quite. For a number of reasons, one that Tottenham would not do any business with United, at least not on friendly terms, and the player apparently wants to move to Real Madrid. Yeah, I think he wants to have his hero Ryan Giggs' shirt next. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, well, we'll see. What did you make of this whole Luis Suarez booing then? Uh, Kind of got what he deserved, I think. Well, I think it's pretty clear they were saying booees. The thing about it is, I don't know who the audience was. I mean, how, how many of the audience were professional footballers? Yeah, it's a mixed audience, so it's administrators, some footballers, media, uh, other luminaries. I mean, you know, out of that lot, you would think that the only people really entitled to boo him would be the uh, the players themselves. Given they may be victims of his cannibalism. Yeah, and not, not to mention the racism, which is still definitely worse than biting. Yeah, interesting piece on the BBC website this week. Study into the uh, original pilgrims who went from England over to the States. Very good evidence that they partook in cannibalism. So there you go. Louis, he's a pioneer. Clearly. The, the whole PFA Awards thing has been weird. First of all, let's let's talk about the good. Uh, the, the PFA Team of the Year rammed full of United players, as you would expect, including joyously and wonderfully and super happily. We were asked who we thought the best goalkeeper in the Prem had been this season. I think both of us sort of gave it to Petr Cech. But no, the, the players have spoken and the man with the ability to freeze the space-time continuum and bend it to its will, to his will, David De Gea, it has been named as the goalkeeper in the PFA Team of the Year. And that's very exciting, I think. Very exciting, yeah. Interesting that the negative press continued. So instead of a whole bunch of profiles saying, isn't it amazing how much he's grown and and look at what you can achieve with hard work and some concentration and maturity, it was the general narrative appeared to be, this is ridiculous, he's rubbish. We obviously spend time in different corners of the internet because the basically everything that I saw was this is very well deserved and evidence of what all the stuff he said in the first part of that. I didn't I didn't see too much negativity, but maybe I'm just lucky. Yeah, maybe. Don't read the bottom half of the internet. Or the Daily Mail. <laughs> Which is basically the bottom half of society. <laughs> well, yes, and bottom feeders of society. Lots of other United players, Rio, Carrick and obviously Robin making the PFA team of the year. Rafael unlucky to be in the same position as Zabaleta really because I don't think you can argue that Zabaleta is an excellent player 
He is. He's been City's best player this year. Of course, Raphael's been outstanding for United, and I think Patrice Evra must have pushed Leighton Baines really hard as well. I mean, he's had a good season. Patrice Evra scored as many goals. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, it was not something any of us predicted before the season started. And it, it does sort of show. Really, uh, first of all, Van Persie would have definitely won the awards if his slump had been better timed. You know, if it was, I mean, not better timed for United because the end of that slump was pretty perfectly timed. But his slump basically coincided with the vote. Uh, if it had been a month earlier or a month later, I'm fairly confident he would have he would have won the lot because exactly the time when he was really suffering, Gareth Bale was in at his kind of brilliant best. And and you know I I don't really hold it against Bale. I think he's a you can't really say he's not a worthy winner of individual player awards because he's an excellent player in a in a in a pretty good but not totally top level side. Right, it's nitpicking to, to argue that he's had an excellent season. I think every season when we analyse PFA awards, we say, why is it voted for when it's voted for? Because uh, it is kind of ridiculous. In modern technology, players could vote uh, via phone and it wouldn't take very long to organise. So, you know, we have elections on a single day and the results within a few minutes in many countries with electronic voting. So it's kind of ridiculous that they have to do it months ahead of time. Or do what they do in Germany, which is to do the vote at the end of the season and then award it in June. Oh, right, yeah, absolutely. Something like that would would definitely work. And yeah, as you say, we say that every season, but it is the way it is, and nobody really cares. I don't think it's just stuff to fill column inches and stuff to fill Scott Parker's trophy cabinet. The Football Writers Award, kind of interesting. That one, Robin Van Persie certainly not second place. Van Persie and Bale, I think, within a few percent of each other, really split the votes in that one. Luis Suarez only getting two votes from football writers. Tony Evans from the Times denied that he was one of them. <laughs> he he would do, yes, but then he's good at making denials. <laughs> yeah, so uh, who knows? In a way, it's a bit annoying that football writers are such moralistic idiots. <laughs> and I speak as a moralistic idiot, you know. They pick and choose their battles in the weirdest way, football writers. There was there was not a mass outcry in favour of attacking Luis Suarez after the racism thing in the press, except in a couple of key places, most notably the Guardian, perhaps unsurprisingly. The press have shown their moral relativism at its most asinine in the aftermath of the Reginald Hunter thing. So just a quick overview, I can't believe we're having to talk like I can't believe this is a thing that we talk about on a football podcast, but if you haven't followed this story at all, there's an American comedian from Georgia called Reginald D. Hunter, who I think is a very funny man indeed, and a lot of his material is about the nuance of race relations and where you stand on the use of the N-word uh, as a kind of reclaimed piece of language is not up for debate in this, this discussion. The point is that the PFA booked Reginald D. Hunter, a man that had the N-word in his uh, show title for the last, I think, four Edinburgh shows it's absolutely insane that you could react with shock and outrage as he uses that language black man from Georgia it's like it's it's absolutely insane and it's disgusting that the PFA have hung this man out to dry in this public way Atakwanga said they're not kicking racism out of football, they're kicking the discussion of racism out of football. Look, whatever the debate is about the uh, reclamation of the N-bomb, whether you agree with that or whether you're Martin Lipton, the c***. It's his middle name, a technical one, I believe. Whatever the nuances around that debate, uh, you're right, it's ridiculous that anyone could be shocked by the material that was going to come out, or that could even be offended, because clearly they don't get it. Now, unfortunately, a bunch of middle-aged white men at the PFA and uh, various media outlets around the country think that zero tolerance means no context, right? And I've actually heard that said. 
seen it said that's the case and it's really not and i have to say it's a, i was a bit surprised by some of the senior pfa people coming out and saying it was a terrible mistake look it might have been a terrible mistake from a public relations point of view wrong person to get in the current climate given the nature of the coverage that he was going to get it was still funny i mean you know the joke about Luis suarez was uh, was pretty much spot on uh, the fact that PFA have asked him to now work for free, I have to say that made me feel a little uncomfortable. You know, it's a black guy from the South uh, and they're saying, you're going to work for us for no money. You know, they've not heard of the Emancipation Proclamation. I, I saw a lot of people make that joke, Ed, but I have to say you were the first that I saw do it. So there you go. I- I'm always the first, except in certain special circumstances, ladies. But yeah, of course. We, we all know you're a respectful lover, Ed. I don't think that's up for question. Uh, Reginald D. Hunter, it's kind of a really interesting, bold choice, actually, if they don't then just, like, completely sell out the second that anything goes slightly wrong. And it's just been a complete PR nightmare from start to finish. Rich Hunter putting pictures of, like, loads of people kind of giving him hugs and smiling with on Facebook with uh, captions sort of reading, this is after the terrible, tragic events and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But, yeah, this is ridiculous. It's, it's all very childish and it's actually incredibly serious and shows some of the problems at the heart of society and football, but the manifestation of it is all rather childish and pathetic and stupid. It's just stupid. But the team of the year was pretty good. I, I think it's telling that football writers don't vote for Suarez but football players do because you know there's something about like I don't know if you're a footballer and you're good at football that'll do well yes I mean and it's been a little bit of time since the the whole racism controversy and the fact that uh, he did the biting after the voting was taken at least for the football players award has some bearing on that I would think yeah are you annoyed that Van Persie didn't win the award or even Carrick I'm not sure I genuinely care. It's a good piece of debate and some Colin Inches, as you say. Now, I'm, uh, I would be more annoyed if, if United ran away with all the trophies on an individual level and didn't win the league. Ferguson was funny, actually, saying that he ignores all these awards after United won the treble and David Ginola won the personal award in 1999, which, which was a fair point, I think. Yeah, although the thing that everyone forgets about that is the only reason Ginola won it is because the United vote was just split equally 11 ways amongst the team. Perhaps not exactly. Well, they should have a single transferable vote system, you know? <laughs> yes, they should. Right, so we played a football match. One all, even though we're drunk. One all, even though we're drunk. Robin Van Persie, teetotal footballer, saves the day against his old club, although he did have a bit of a shocker. Didn't respond brilliantly to the, the booze, but, you know, must have been a, a strange emotional experience for him as he almost work, walked into the home dressing room and then got the guard of honour and had to sort of be weirdly respectful, but took his penalty brilliantly. And Arsenal flying out of the blocks, United, uh, particularly the wonderful Phil Jones, looking distinctly the worst for championship celebrating wear. But then they got back into it, United, and actually in the end, probably unlucky not to take all three points right it was amazing how long it took united to get going i mean one thing that annoyed me was nothing to do with united performance i wasn't surprised that they were a little off key and you know and jokes aside about the the heavy drinking that went on that week the fact that the players hadn't actually trained until friday and it must have been hard to motivate themselves in the same way right but the thing that actually annoyed me was arsenal's performance because if they perform like that every week at least for the 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 way they performed for the first 45 minutes they would be higher up the table and closer to united you know or maybe it doesn't annoy me, but it should annoy Arsenal fans. You know, that's cheating the manager, surely. It's, I think it's ridiculous. It, it talk about, uh, you know, a cup final performance. I suppose it was really, but that kind of gives you some insight into the status of the two clubs these days. 
yes, and also because you you were right, and I saw your comment about cheating the manager sort of twenty minutes into the performance. But even worse than that, they proved that they're not actually good enough to sustain that for ninety minutes because they dropped off massively and barely threatened United in the second half. And United actually really got very very seriously professional about that game at some point. And I don't know, I think they they probably really regretted their lackadaisicalness, or at least they would have done if we hadn't won the title on the 22nd of April so you know are the points records out the window now I don't care I know you were you were kind of you were sort of hoping we'd go for it pretty impressively I think weren't you well I think it would have been nice just because as it stands the the greatest ever Premier League side or, or league side in fact because it's a it's an English points record isn't it is plastic one financed by dodgy Russian money you know if you judge it on points which of course you don't no, you don't. And yeah, competition is a, is a key part of it. And of course, even if United had won the record po- points total this season, I think the fact that they didn't have a genuine challenger was was a key thing. I, I've been reflecting on the fact that it's 20 years today as we record this, probably 20 years yesterday as the show comes out, since United won their first league title under Sir Alex. 20, 20, weird sort of numerical synchronicity there. I've been reflecting on on what my favourite league title wins. This one, I have to say, has been pretty sweet. I think the rest of my life, my favourite league title win, it's going to be pretty hard to shift the 95-96 season. That overhaul of Newcastle, I'd love it if we beat them. Just just personally, that was was a league title I became incredibly invested in for some reason. Right, and and the fact that uh, all the kids were involved in it and and all of that, you know, it was a romantic league title win, wasn't it? For me, 93 is probably just about the best just because of the craziness of it all after all those years. Uh, So Alex talked this week about the release of frustration. You know, I think that was an important part of it. I still very vividly recall Brian Kidd dancing onto the pitch and getting down on his knees when Bruce put in that second header. Now, that was just a few days before United won that title, you know, off off the pitch, of course, near Oldham beating Aston Villa. So that's still just about up there. 99 was great as well. I mean, I think people kind of forget in the drama of the of the Champions League final victory, that late victory over Bayern Munich, United actually won the title on the last day as well. And very narrowly, you know, Andy Cole lobbing the Spurs keeper to, to win 2-1 at Old Trafford, you know, and it, that was really, really tight as well. And we had to remember that that Arsenal side was a really good side as well. You talk about competition, that was a serious competitive league that year yeah and Gary Neville called the 98 Arsenal side you know the the best side they ever came up against in England but that goal thinking about that Andy Cole goal still gives me the good the good shivers you know the just it was a magic moment wasn't it there was something about the I don't know there was there was a purity to that goal it felt really good and did it not did it not reflect a miss in another game another title deciding game where he kind of went for a lob like that and it didn't go in or something or I might have just dreamed that whole thing Talking of league title victories, at Khan underscore MUFC says, seeing as it's 20 years today since United secured the title in 93, do you still feel every title might be the last one? No. I think that, like, Liverpool fans probably didn't think the last one that they won was going to be their last one. It could all go very quickly, but I think football's changed a lot. I think it has. It's become more concentrated as an industry, you know, so that's a factor of money and equity and and the, the way an industry grows uh, and the fact that it is a winner takes all game in terms of the brand market so the bigger clubs are getting bigger financial fair play will actually you know exacerbate that problem if you want to call it a problem it'll entrench the success of the biggest clubs and so that's the kind of just the nature of how the market has evolved i think so, so as a consequence of all that I, I think that it's very unlikely now of course the, the debt 
had an interesting effect on United over the last few years in that the investment was lower. Somehow, United are in the fortunate position of having Alex Ferguson in there. It's, it's interesting, I saw a quote this week, uh, there's, there's rarely been a case in business or any other industry where someone who's created so much value has actually received so little of it himself. You know, he's created hundreds and hundreds of millions for other people. And, and he's taken millions himself, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, he's been very well re- rewarded, but a few million a year is not anywhere near a reflection of the success that he has been an integral part of how that's you know translated onto the balance sheet anyway so you know he managed to get united through that really difficult period united still in position you know q3 results and all that came out still 330 odd million worth of debt but the cash position is looking really healthy and and with all these new deals that are coming in and the night deal still to be negotiated it looks like united are going to have a lot of surplus cash in the coming years you know could in theory be debt free of course the glazers don't run their businesses like that but but united in a much much healthier financial position for when the new man comes in so I, I can't think of anything very exciting to say about the Arsenal game except for I can't believe how long Wayne Rooney got in that game because he was properly awful. It, not only properly awful, he didn't look fit, right? And, you know, I know it's been a cl- become a cliche, but he, the guy's puffing. He's puffing, you know, and it, it just like he was off the boil and he didn't look fit. Yeah, and and I guess this kind of links in. We 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 haven't really talked about it, and we will focus probably the next episode of the show. Uh, we'll do a, a whole big massive chunk on this. But Q3 results, Rooney's poor performance, where United stand in world football, the two Champions League semi-finals, the remarkable, remarkable seven nil on aggregate win for Bayern Munich against Barcelona, and and Dortmund's very impressive, although perhaps slightly less slightly less era-defining sense around the Dortmund victory over Real Madrid. But United's place in the world of football. The football transfer rumour mill is grinding away. And United have been linked with Ronaldo and Bale and Falcao and Lewandowski and none of these players are central midfielders, interestingly enough. Mm, And none are actually going to end up at United either. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You're you're confident that the absolute world mega names are still not going to be coming to United? No, I, I don't think so. And, you know, there's still a prudence around the club. I mean, you know, I suppose you would say the uh, purchase of Van Persie broke that. It certainly broke an unwritten rule that United were only going to invest in under 26s. But I'd be really surprised to see United outbidding anyone for Falcao. It looks like he's almost certainly off to Chelsea this summer. They're, they're prepared to spend a 50 odd million. And Bale definitely not going anywhere, United. I think it's still a very long shot to see Ronaldo come back, although it looks like there are some attempts to make moves uh, on that front. It's, it doesn't make any sense financially, of course. Uh, so I don't, I don't think the world's leading names will end up at United. I don't know who they'll buy as a central midfielder, but if they don't, it's negligent because Anderson will definitely be off. Uh, he's got to be, hasn't he? And Paul Scholes will be retiring. Darren Fletcher is not coming back. So, you know, effectively United will be three central midfielders down, even if none of them really play very much. But that's a big, big hole uh, in midfield. Of course, United could try and patch it up and, and play Wayne Rooney there, but we don't know whether he'll be there either. Uh, of course, we both said that we thought the Van Persie transfer was extremely unlikely based on all the things that you've just said, essentially. So the Van Persie transfer does give credence to the idea that all things are possible. And I think that's why we can all take rumours a little bit more seriously than we could previously. Uh, Albeit you obviously don't seem to be doing that particularly, which is probably perfectly reasonable position to take. I don't know. The Lewandowski stuff was really interesting. The the way Ferguson handled that and the stuff that he was saying about that. The fact that he just does not seem to be the player 
player we need at all. And Van Persie didn't seem to be the player we need at all, but we bought him, and so everyone else that doesn't seem like it, even less seems like it, you know. Unless Rooney's on the outs. And why would Paris Saint-Germain spend that much money on a player who's had one of the worst seasons of his professional career? Probably the, the second worst season he's had apart from that year with the World Cup in South Africa. Shh, they might be listening. <laughs> how, how disappointed would you be if Rooney was sold for, say, £25 million in the summer? There's a couple of ways to look at it. Uh, one, hugely, because I think he's just a massively, massively talented player uh, who still has the ability to make the entire side tick. I think he makes United's attacking play much better when he's in the side. I think he's multifaceted. He can play in multiple positions. He excels in most of those. So in that respect, hugely disappointing because I think he's a super player. But, you know, you have to look at the product, don't you? And the actual output wasn't that great this year. And he's not been helped being moved all over the place. But if he's not going to be fit, if the training's not up to the standards that United want, if he's smoking, drinking, out of shape in some way, which he does, you know, visually he looks like it sometimes. And if he's then not performing and Ferguson doesn't see him as the first choice anymore, then, you know, maybe not. You know, the heroes move on and another hero is born, yeah. right? And that's it's always been the way. I don't know whether Lewandowski is the right answer if that was the answer, right? I mean, he's a, he's a very traditional striker. He's a very, very good one. I, I'm not sure that he's up in the very best bracket. But then again, I said that last time and he, he smacked four absolutely brilliant goals in the, the Champions League, didn't he? So, you know, and players grow. And if he joined United, maybe grow, though he'd be taking a step backwards in terms of the quality of the side, perhaps. <laughs> um, the, the interesting thing about the semi-finals was he added 10 million to his value in the first leg and took it off again in the second leg where he missed a few really really good chances to get the away goal that would have made that a lot more comfortable hmm. well interesting stat this season the striker who's missed the most chances in the Premier League this season is uh, no idea Robin Van Persie <laughs> ah there you go oh Robin Van Persie He's also the player that's scored the most magical 30-yard volleys, isn't he? So that, that swings and roundabouts. The And scored, of course, the most goals. That's funny, isn't it? And, and considering we're all sort of decrying United as not being the most exciting attacking force, the fact that our top scorer is also the player that's missed the most chances says, says something about our creative ability. Talking of Dortmund and our creative players, a weird one for Shinji. He's in the, the Ronaldo position of moving in the summer and it sort of being a, seen as a, a kind of personal step up and then uh, seeing your old teammates get to the Champions League final that season. Yeah, um, interesting. I mean, they've, they've been brilliant, Dortmund, so they, they fully deserve their Champions League final place. I mean, obviously they lost at Madrid, but uh, to withstand the barrage that was that was going to come, they've, they've done really well and they, you know it's a reward for a really fine season. Of course, a bit of a problem because uh, two of their players have effectively signed for Bayern already. You know, Goetz are definitely and Lewandowski, it seems like it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that is a kind of weird one, isn't it? Uh, that they're playing, I mean, especially for Goetz, who's like announced, done, signed, sealed, delivered. You wonder if he'll play. I mean, I suspect he probably will, won't he? Because he's a very good player. Well, if he's fit, yeah, he's apparently got a bit of a muscle injury. But yeah, assuming he's fit, I'm sure he'll play. What can only be described as a reasonably convenient muscle injury. Uh, what, did, what did you make of, a bit off topic, but what did you make of the complete collapse of Barcelona? 
Interesting. I mean, it's happened a couple of times this season. They got completely spanked in the Copa del Rey as well, didn't they, by Real Madrid. There's something more brittle about them. Uh, there's something less effective in an attacking sense. Of course, they didn't have Messi for the second leg. He wasn't quite fit for the first one, was he? So that has an impact. They are a completely different side without Messi. Tactically, they're different, but also he's, he's the main man, you know. It's, it takes a, quite a bit out of the side. It feels like the edge is gone. They went through the motions in La Liga in many ways. You know, Real Madrid just weren't as good. Interesting similarity with the Premier League really you know and they've just been not as good in Europe and and you could say it's the end of an era of course it is because they've been absolutely smashed they do have the financial muscle to go and repair the gaps and there is a philosophy in the club that has not changed and so I, I would expect them to come back strongly but that great side and the core of that great side may have to be changed and you know they've been brilliant for five years they've extended their the sequence for longer than most cycles and that's been quite remarkable really and, and they've played some fantastic football they redefined European football for a while interesting that Jay Sean wrote a piece on on the blog this week saying that uh, tactics have moved on the new trend is is no longer the pressing all over the pitch but pressing very very high and, and hitting hard on the break you know that's the that's the way it's done now that's the successful format well you know maybe that's that's what's taken the two German sides into the Champions League final yeah, and and it's interesting because, as you say, it's a, it's about cycles, and and cycles in football work in that way, don't they? Defensive football took over, and then so people became much more attacking to combat that, and then we've had these kind of incredibly dominant possession-oriented Spanish wins in international competitions, and Barcelona's phenomenal success in Europe, and and it it was like watching an incredibly attractive person who's very very drunk at the end of the night and has got maybe a bit of sick in their hair, you know, it was. It, they, they they just suddenly looked like they'd been revealed to have a weird inner dark core that no one knew they had. And Guardiola often made a very big deal about not making Messi the be all and end all of that Barcelona side. And and to I mean when they signed Zlatan, it was a kind of deliberate attempt to. Sid Lowe always talks about it, doesn't he? That it's a deliberate attempt to create a plan B, and that that particular one didn't work out. But he did make sure that they they had a an alternative to Messi, and it doesn't look like they've got one anymore. They they just look bereft without him. Well, that's right. And, and of course, you know, like all beautiful girls who are drunk, the best thing to do is to take advantage, which is what Bayern did. And, and in some style as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Barcelona have to work out what their plan B is. You know, it looks like David Villa is definitely off in the summer. He was in a way another plan B. The, the problem is that the entire team is built around Messi as this this false nine right they do not have another option they don't have another way of playing it changes the way they play when Messi isn't there so they'll have to think about that one and it's entirely built around him as the machine as well when they moved him from the wing into the center they concentrated all the goals in him as well it's very all eggs in one basket it doesn't come undone very often but a few teams worked out how to play them interesting thing about Bayern they beat them not by trying to defend you know they solidly beat them Although uh, in the first leg they had a very low percentage of of the possession of the ball, they had something like you know thirty five percent of the ball and still scored four times. Yeah, I mean they the the away leg. I mean Bayern absolutely spanked Barcelona. They made Barcelona look very very average indeed. They looked like they completely run out of ideas. They did, yeah, and comical own goal from Gerard Piquet there. Although he wouldn't be too disappointed. He goes home and shags Shakira. Yeah, uh, although maybe not because I'm not sure that hair is working for him. I think maybe he's having a rough time at home and uh, in his professional life, but I'm sure he's quite all right. Uh, but once again, Sir Alex's decision to retain Johnny Evans over Gerard Piquet looks like a pretty smart one. Not that Piquet's a bad player, but I- I'd have Johnny Evans over Piquet, I think, would you? 
Uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, you know, in terms of performances in the last sort of eighteen months or so, yeah, that's uh, that's right. I mean, I do think PK is a, a very, very talented player. He went off the boil a little bit uh, in the last few months. Uh, in fact, interesting question. Uh, we've got a bunch of Twitter questions, so we've got a bit, little bit of time, so we'll try and get to a couple of them. At I think United says, how would you rank United's current centre backs? Like, what order would you put them in? Uh, for me, like Rio is top of that list because he makes the rest of them tick that, that's that's whoever's playing is lucky when they're playing alongside Rio because they'll definitely look better and then the rest of them I think it's very hard to separate really I, I guess you s- still have Vidic next on that list don't you Ed well just about just because of the the class uh, of the man I mean the the physical side of things has, has reduced his impact right you know Rio has managed that better than Vidic yeah because of the nature of their skill set at Doran Solomon said that Rio doesn't get enough credit for the way he's adjusted his the way he plays over the last couple of years. And Ferguson made a very pointed remark about that, didn't he, about 18 months ago, saying that Rio had to adjust. He left him outside a couple of times, and Rio did, because he's a very intelligent footballer. You know, he plays a little bit deeper. He doesn't make up for mistakes with pace anymore. He he doesn't take as many risks in terms of coming forward with the ball. You know, he's he makes sure he's in the right position. And uh, it's been absolutely brilliant for United. Uh, I've said it before, you know, I think it's very difficult for United to play with Vidic and Rio there against some sides because it makes United defend in a certain way. So, you know, that's that's something they'll probably look at in the summer. You know, do we have the right mix? Not not necessarily enough quality. There's loads of centre-backs and some, you know, really great quality, but is it the right mix of players there? Uh, I mean, I think it's really unlikely that we're going to bring in the centre-back because Ferguson, will look, if he has got finite financial resources, which of course he has, I think you look at that side and say you've got um, Rio and Vidic and Smalling behind Evans and Jones. I mean, that's it's a lot of talent, isn't it? It is, and, and Jones in recent weeks has looked like he could really blossom into a, a fine centre-back, of course. But, but why buy a central midfielder when you can buy another striker or another defender? Good, good, good question. Or buy a central midfielder and play them at left-back. Not that that's happened, but it could do. It could. It's only a matter of time till the Tombola picks that particular beautiful combination. At Specsavers Lino, talking of good questions, asks, Do you really like it? Is it, is it wicked? which I'm pretty sure the answer is we're loving it, loving it, loving it, we're loving it like that. At Hanif Dean says, with the Samat Busby Player of the Year up on voting up on United's site, who gets your vote? Well, of course, United Rants Player of the Year trophy will be awarded in the last podcast of the season. So that's the real one that the players want. No, this Samat Busby nonsense. For me, it's at this stage, of course, with a few weeks left, and I don't want to precursor any official United Rant trophies here. I, I think Robin Van Persie is just ahead in the race because of all the goals he scored. Michael Carrick said another outstanding season. Of course, he was Rant's player of the year last year. Could he win the double? Uh, and then there are some other candidates like Raphael's had a really great season too. Yeah, absolutely. I've already cast my vote in that particular thing, in that particular corporate sellout, because, hey, why not? And I, I, I voted for Michael Carrick just because I love him. But I I, it, that's, I didn't really think about it very hard. Uh, I think my vote in the actual award, which I have some say in, might be, might be different and might be a little bit more Dutch. You never know. At Tommy underscore CTS says there's lots of talk of City switching to a 4-3-3 next season. What, if any, tactical shift do you see United making? And I'd like to combine that with at Cramp in both legs, who says, do we think that Shinji Kagawa will see more game time in his favoured position next season? Because to me, those two questions go hand in hand. 
Well, they do. I mean, United effectively played a 4-2-3-1 all season, right? Because Rooney, when he played, played deeper. It wasn't a natural 4-4-2, and it was quite rare in, on the occasions that United did play a proper 4-4-2. They, they had variations around it, so they effectively played that formation against Real Madrid as well, but then it ended up with Danny Welbeck mark Xabi Alonso, which was an interesting way of going about it. So I think the, if there is a major tactical shift next year, it will be Kagawa playing in his, his favourite playmaker role. I have to say, I'm not sure that I see it. And there's a couple of reasons I'm not sure I see it. I'm not sure that Ferguson trusts the player there yet. And I'm also not sure that it really fits in with the philosophy that Ferguson has built over the years, which is uh, get the ball wide, basically. And that doesn't quite work when you play through a playmaker. So United would have to make quite a fundamental shift. I mean, they bought a number 10 and haven't used him there. Uh, and, And for me, that wasn't in the least bit surprising. But we'll see. Maybe. Do you think it's likely? Do you think, I mean, do you think it's, I mean, I guess the, the thing about Ferguson is like, he's not the, tactics are not the, they're not his strong suit. And I don't mean he's bad at them. I mean, they're not his best characteristic as a manager, right? It's not, it's not where he really excels, is it? But he is quite tactically flexible. And so, you know, we, we have played like a, basically a 4-2-3-1. But as you say, we've played a ton of different versions of a 4-2-3-1. And I think he really does shift tactics a lot depending on opposition. There's sometimes when that 4-2-3-1 looks much, much more like a 4-4-2 or at least a 4-4-1-1. And then there's times where it looks like a, a, a real 4-2-3-1 with kind of interplay between, between the three and swapping positions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and even some false nine act you know because because that's in in Van Persie and Rooney's wheelhouse isn't it I think tactical massive tactical change happens if we sell Rooney right the 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 possibility of it exists is much more likely if we sell Rooney because having Rooney there makes makes all different versions of that 4-2-3-1 an option because he can play in any position in the two the three or the one can't he so he does give you a lot of variety in that yeah, he does. Uh, and of course, it depends on the, the type of players United buy in the summer, you know, get get ourselves a more bit more physical presence in the centre and midfield and it allows that formation to be played, a, you know, a little more easily. So um, a bit of support for Carrick there and Kagawa could play in that loose role or they could buy more of a ball playing central midfielder, in which case you might go a little more rigid up front. So, you know, there's there's options and it, it does depend on and where and if United spend and, and what Ferguson's thinking. The one, the one thing I'd say is that Ferguson is not the trendsetter in tactics. You know, he he does follow and he does adapt and he does he does that very well. And, and actually, sometimes he doesn't follow. You know, and he's he's quite happy to to feel United play in United's way. I don't think United are about to become a ticker attacker style team. I don't think they're about to mirror Bayern and. Borussia you know Ferguson Ferguson has a has a way of playing which has become more conservative over the years that appears to be the trend so we'll, we'll see what happens next year yeah absolutely uh, although of course there, there was a there was a six month break or at least a four month break from that in the first half of this season wasn't there at Bergeroux asks which United player would best reprise Robert De Niro's role as Travis Bickle in the movie Taxi Driver I think we all know as United fans who the best actor in the Manchester United squad is they say he is a legend and Robert De Niro is of course an acting legend so who else but the uh, Mr Rooney himself before he ships off to PSG just to scoop scoop up that Oscar like mm. has Kiko Makeda still got the same haircut because he did for a while that's a very 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 good point and I think uh, it's obviously you know in the in the United Pantheon it would it would have to be Kino wouldn't it because uh, you know 
there but for the grace of God goes Travis Bickle. I think we can all agree. Well, indeed, yeah. And last Twitter question this week, at MUFC Jeff says, where should David De Gea go on holiday? Nowhere near Barcelona or Madrid. Thank you. Yeah, just nowhere near Spain or Jorge Mendes or, you know, no, no, nowhere where anyone could get him. A, a desert island with his mobile phone switched off and a, pi- a picture of Sir Alex above his hammock. So, there's still football to be played, even though it is all over. Chelsea, who keep beating us at the moment, are disappointed how many times they do keep beating us. But, you know, United playing with a bit of freedom. Chelsea, of course, playing in the Europa League, so um, they may be a bit tired. Uh, Advantage United in this one. Can we turn them over? I think so. I mean, we haven't got anything to play for except the chance to stop Rafa getting Chelsea into the top four. So surely that's got to be worth it. It is unfortunate that they seem to have the sign over us when they're managed by Benitez, of course. Liverpool fans would no doubt put that down to his superior tactical acumen and motivational abilities. Yeah, fact. (laughs) I don't know whether we're going to beat them. I think that this game suffers from a similar problem to the Arsenal game, which is that they have just got so much more on the line than we have. Well, they do, but they're chasing a whole bunch of trophies, right? So, two at least. If, if, uh, like Arsene Wenger, you believe that the top four is an additional trophy. (laughs) Yeah, but they need that top four place because everything hinges on that. Uh, Of course, ITV cut off Jose Mourinho just before he officially announced he was going to Chelsea in one of the worst. But you were out of the country, right? So presumably you didn't see this. I did not. I have uh, I've read about it. Yeah, the rumours that Jose is back to Chelsea are very strong at the moment. And I mean, he he said he's he's going he's going to go where the people love him, and might as well just have said I'm going to Chelsea. You know, it's not really it's not really code, is it? Unless like for some reason he's particularly beloved in Monaco. Well, quite, and it'll bring some stability to the club, you'd think, because he'll be there for his customary two years. Uh, interesting where he goes after that, though, because uh, he, he will rule himself out of the United job, which, of course, many United fans will be very pleased about. Uh, yeah, I, I, I still don't know how I feel about that. I think, I think basically, I would have been interested in the thought experiment of Jose Mourinho as United manager. So uh, that would have, I'd have put up with the rest of it for just the sake of that. Mm. And I can think of experiments I'd like to try on Jose Mourinho. I'm not quite sure they'd be thought-related. He's all right, Jose. He's just a bit, you know, damaged. He's good value, but he would be embarrassing as a, as a United manager. So uh, if he goes to Chelsea, it's over. If he goes to Paris Saint-Germain, you can put your money on him being United manager in two summers' time. Yeah, I mean, if he does go back to Chelsea, I will talk about this if he does, but it makes next season really, really exciting. I think I maintain that a really, really strong challenge is good for United, actually. I think they, I think they need it. And it also means that Sir Alex will have to take the transfer market seriously. So it's kind of kind of exciting times, potentially. But yeah, so so the actual Chelsea manager, the slightly less glamorous Rafa Benitez, brings his unruly mob to town. Will their racist centre-half play, do you think? Uh, yeah, possibly. Yeah, need, need a bit of good booing, don't we, at Old Trafford? John Terry, who's made himself available for England once again. Joy! <laughs> I'm just going to boo him right here on the Rankgast. Boo, John Terry, boo! But he made himself available for England, thus making a load of people that were just starting to come around to the concept of potentially getting behind the national team again to go, oh no, wait a minute, I know why I gave up on this lark a while ago. Well, quite, you know, and uh, against Basel, Baal, Basel, whatever they're called, uh, they re- rested a bunch of key players, so rested Matter and Oscar and Terry. So, you know, that might give you an idea of who will play against United on Sunday. 
Yeah, and I think it's going to be very difficult for United because I do think that incentive is a crucial part of professional sport and Schadenfreude is not as good as an incentive as trying to win the league. But I have to say, when I looked at the fixtures at the beginning of the season, I had a sort of mental image of our preview of this one and it was full squeaky bum time. Uh, but it's just completely relaxed muscles all over the body at the moment because we have won the league. So this game is simply for the lulls. Yes, uh, this is very true. I mean, which look, I think, I think they might have got that out of their system. So I think it, it'll be a good performance. It'll be a relaxed performance. Uh, of course, there won't be that edge, but I think United will go away with a creditable draw. All right, that, that'll be fine. You know, as long as Chelsea don't beat us again, I would like to turn them over for many, many reasons. I, I think I guess, I guess I'm going to predict a draw as well. That seems that seems reasonable. But if you're here, if you're sort of somewhere in this in the one of those sitting down seats on the side where it's all quiet and silent, and you hear somebody singing Michael Carrick songs for 90 minutes, say hello. All right, Ian. Do you have a prediction for this game? Uh, yeah, two all draw. I reckon. All right. Well, I'm going to say one all, which is what I said about the Arsenal game last week. Oh yeah, well done. Spot on. Congratulations. Once again. Once again. Yeah. Laser accuracy. Oh, yes. I would just like to say to at Leem underscore 101, I can't read your question out, but the answer is clearly yes. So, ha! Is Paul a... (laughs) No. Oh, I'm sad now. If you want to cheer us up in between now and the next show, you can get hold of me at UTD Rantcast. You can get Ed at United Rant. You can get us both at facebook.com slash United Rant or unitedrant.co.uk. And if you want to throw us a few shekels towards the costs of running this show or just because you want us to leave our jobs and do this full time, uh, it's unitedrant.co.uk slash donate. And I feel happy to suggest that people go there because we're not about to pull the Rantcast rug away from listeners. Some very high level negotiations have taken place. And in in a Dortmund Mario Goetze to Bayern Munich style, we can announce this before the start of the actual transfer window. The Rantcast will be back to cover the ins and outs of Manchester United season 2013 to 2014. Hey, well, I know that cop talk had tried to poach you. <laughs> Then there's there's some late bidding by you know race talk with Suarez and Terry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But we're uh, we're going to do this for another season. I can't quite believe we've agreed to do this, given how what a challenge it's been to get the podcast out this season. But clearly, enough people like it that makes it worthwhile. So uh, while well, you're happy to listen, we're happy to do it, right, Ed? We certainly are. Yeah, and uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend's game as well, and to talking about it next week. You know, after our famous victory or draw, scoring draw that we both predicted. 20 times, 20 times, Man United. Uh, that's just my inner monologue all week. And in fact, quite often my outer monologue as well. Much to the chagrin of my work colleagues. So yeah, we'll see you same time next week. We'll see you then.